Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. Uh, my name is Ryan. If you're new or visiting here, I'm the lead pastor. It's so good to see all of you here uh, today. Um, if you weren't with us last week, um, you really missed out. Uh, last week, Pastor Allison preached what was for me um, like the most important message that I've heard in years. And I'm not just exaggerating or anything like that. Like it really was like the Lord used that message to speak to me and, and, and say some things to my soul that my heart really deeply needed to hear. So if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back, listen to that message. I've listened to it three times in the past week. That's how, that's how impactful it was for me. So if you weren't here last week, make sure you jump in, listen to that message. Um, really, really important. You can thank me later or you can thank Allison, I guess. She's the one who preached it. Um, uh, this week is our final uh, week in our series, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And the thesis statement of this series, or the, the purpose behind this series, what this series proposes, I guess we can say, is that spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. That you can't be a follower of Jesus, a growing follower of Jesus, and remain emotionally unhealthy in your life. And so our ultimate aim in these teachings is to grow in our emotional health so that we can become a people who love other people better. You know, Jesus, when asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what we're going after in this series, is we're going after trying to be a people who love other people better. Jesus said that those around us will know that we are his followers by our love. And so we've learned some important skills over the past few weeks on how we can grow in our emotional health and how we can have more emotionally healthy relationships. A few of these skills we've learned so far, stop mind reading, how's that going? Stop mind reading, clarify expectations, become self-aware, listen deeply. And so over the past few weeks, as you've been listening and learning, and if you've been trying to put any effort whatsoever to learning these skills and putting them into practice in your relationships, then my guess is that many of you, maybe most of you as you've been trying to practice this, that you've encountered some level of conflict. Anyone? Encountered some degree of conflict as you try to like have a clarifying conversation. You sit down with someone and you're like, hey, can we talk about something? And then you have that conversation and you're like, I'm never doing that ever again. And so today we're going to learn like this final, very important skill called fight cleanly. Sound good? We're going to learn how to fight well today, okay? Fight cleanly. And this, this skill is so important for us to put into practice because, oh, hey, Jeff, what's going on, man? Good to see you. Um, didn't know that happened. I just saw a person walking. This skill is so important for us to learn uh, because here's, here's, the tr- here's the truth. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. That might cause your skin to crawl as you hear that reality, but conflict is inevitable. Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Relationships, he writes this, that healthy community is not so much about us not having issues and conflict, but it means that we have a particular way we approach these issues and conflicts. And so here's the truth. As we grow in our emotional health in our relationships, it doesn't mean that our relationships are going to be conflict-free. It doesn't mean that we are going to not have conflict, but what what it means is that as we grow in our emotional health and our relationships, the way we approach conflict, the way we handle conflict, we will grow in those ways. I think the reason many of us hate conflict 
is because when we engage in conflict with other people, it's messy, it's hard, it's difficult, and perhaps worst of all, when we engage in conflict, like our truest, realest selves come out. Note this, that in conflict, nowhere is the true state of our emotional health more on display than in conflict. When we get into conflict, oh yeah, uh-oh is right. Our truest, realest selves come out. Most of us can do a pretty good job of wearing a mask and seeming like an all like a pleasant, relatively healthy, uh, well-adjusted human being in this world. But when we get into conflict, man, the real us comes out. It really does. Our, 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 our truest selves are, are quickly revealed. And so listen, if conflict is inevitable, then the one thing that we can change or influence in our relationships is the way we approach conflict. And so what should this look like? How should we approach conflict? For the past couple of weeks, one of the things that we've been doing is we've been looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus throughout these skills. And, and many of you probably don't remember, but way back, like many, many months ago, back in August, we spent a little bit of time in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things we looked at was what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 9, where he said this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. And so as we follow Jesus, what we see is that we as his followers are called to be peacemakers. And he says that in Matthew 5. But in this same gospel, 16 chapters later, do you know what we find Jesus doing? In this gospel, we find Jesus in the temple flipping tables absolutely raging. So, so, so which one is it? Is, is Jesus asking us to be peacemakers? Is he asking us to flip tables? Is Jesus a hypocrite? What's go, what, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to rightly engage conflict in our lives as we encounter it in our marriages and in our friendships and with those that we go to church with? I think it depends on how you view the role of peacemaker and what it takes to achieve true and lasting peace in the midst of conflict that you face in your lives and in your relationships. And since conflict is inevitable, there's no way to avoid it, Jesus calls us to enter into it, not to simply be peacekeepers, but to be peacemakers. That's his in invitation to us. And so here's what I'd like us to do for the next few moments. I would like us to look at a few different ways that, that we commonly enter into conflict and then we'll, then we'll talk about what does it mean to fight cleanly, to fight well. And so when conflict rises, one thing that many of us often do is, is we choose fake peace. We choose fake peace. And the difference between real, actual, true peace, like true shalom in our relationships, and fake peace is the difference between going about our relationships as a peacekeeper rather than a peacemaker. And again, Jesus didn't invite us to be peacekeepers. In the Sermon on the Mount, he called us to be peacemakers. Caitlin Garrison, she's a writer, she's a speaker. She says this, that a peacekeeper desires to maintain peace by avoiding conflict. You're a peacekeeper if you don't like to rock the boat. You're a peacekeeper if you don't like stirring the pot. You're a peacekeeper if you don't want to confront, if you don't want to flip the table. You're like, the table looks fine where it's at. Why would I flip it? 
She says, though, a peacemaker is willing to resolve outer and inner turmoil in order to establish peace for others. And Jesus was a peacemaker. He didn't shrink back from conflict. In in fact, so much of his life and ministry is marked by confrontational dialogue with his followers, with his family members, with the religious leaders of his time, with, with those people who were part of the crowd who followed him along the way. He wasn't afraid to have the hard conversation. Matthew 5, 9 could could also be understood. Blessed are those who are willing to enter in and have the hard, difficult conversation. How many of us would find ourselves in that boat? We're willing to jump in and have the hard, difficult conversations. Not all of us, that's for sure. Some of us are like, I will choose fake peace all day long. And and for a variety of reasons, some of us choose that because that's what we saw modeled growing up. We saw it in our household when when conflict rose up, everyone would just kind of scatter or sweep it under the rug, and so we just kind of perpetuate what we've learned from that family system. Or others of us, we grew up in like these really chaotic homes, and and there was aggression, and and voices were raised, and doors were slammed, and, and things got out of control. And so as we got older, we were like, you know what, I'm not going to repeat that cycle, but instead of going after true and lasting peace, we choose fake peace, and we don't address conflict because we're afraid of going to that place of aggression and slammed doors and raised voices. Either way, listen, true peace doesn't come from pretending. True peace will not come from pretending like everything is okay. It doesn't come through faking it. It doesn't come by thinking and hoping like maybe eventually they'll understand that like when they leave the dishes in the sink and don't put them in the dishwasher, that irritates me. So I'm gonna stand by and I'm gonna pray and hope that they understand how frustrating this is for me and that God just reveals it to them one day that that's the best thing and no, that's not it. You're not gonna experience true peace that way. That is not peacemaking. That's fake peace. It's more like what the prophet Jeremiah called out in Israel when he said this, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. They say peace, peace, when there is no peace. When we choose fake peace, we say peace, peace over a situation when there is no peace. There's problems in my marriage and I don't wanna rock the boat and so I'm gonna pretend like everything is okay. And I tell myself that things really aren't that bad. And I'm gonna tell those around me that things are okay. And I'm gonna say, peace, peace, when there is no peace there. There's this tension between me and that friend and everyone in our friend group can sense it. They know it's there, it's palpable. But we're gonna ignore it and we're just gonna say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Listen, when we do that, it's choosing fake peace and fake Peace is a lie. It's a lie. It's lying to yourselves. It's lying to others. And and ultimately, it's detrimental to your relationship. Things might seem okay right now. The water might be smooth on the surface. But if you don't deal with what's going on below, it will make itself known. It will. It's impossible for relationships to be emotionally healthy when we choose fake peace. 
And I think it's the road that so many of us choose in the midst of conflict, but not all of us, not all of us. Some of us, when conflict flares up, here's what we choose to do. We choose to fight dirty. We fight dirty, okay? The conversation starts to heat up. Conflict is rising up, and we're like, we take off the gloves, and we're like, yes, let's go. (laughs) And I know you're in this room. I know some of you enjoy this kind of stuff. You fight dirty. How do we fight dirty? Here are a few ways that we fight dirty, and as I list these off, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to check off in your mind the things that you know you do in conflict, Some of us, we choose fake peace for a while, but then when the conflict really has to get going, we go and we start to fight dirty. And one of the things that we do is we deny. We deny, and so someone brings something to us and they are addressing an issue, but instead of listening long and trying to process and hear what God might be telling us through this person, we just deny, 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 and we get defensive. We deny. Some of us, we choose sarcasm. (laughs) You guys laugh, you're like, yeah, that's me. I said check it off in your mind. You don't have to like let everyone know, okay? <laughs> Choose sarcasm. You know, we, um, instead of allowing our words, or instead of choosing words that are honest and authentic and sincere, we, we get biting and cutting and passive aggressive with our words and we get sarcastic. Some of us, we use the silent treatment. Instead of dealing with the conflict at hand, we ignore the conflict and we freeze the person out. And honestly, I think this might be the um, kind of most insidious weapon in our dirty fighting arsenal. And so we get in a fight with our spouse and instead of talking to them, we don't text them back throughout the day. We don't return their calls or, 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 or we, don't, we don't answer the emails from that coworker or, or when we walk past that person in the hall here at church, we just pretend like they aren't there. We kind of dart our eyes a different direction. And here's the thing, sometimes in relationships you're gonna need space, you're gonna need silence, but when silent treatment is bad, when it's a dirty fighting technique, you're using silence to punish. That's when it's bad. Uh, Another thing we do in dirty fighting is we shout. We shout. Instead of remaining calm in conflict, we elevate our voices, we let our emotions take full control, and we start to yell, and we shout. One more thing we do, dirty fighting technique, We use always never language, always never language. Instead of being accurate and truthful with our words, we mischaracterize the other person, we exaggerate what the other person does, we say things like, you're always late, or or, your clothes are always on the ground, Or, or you never show me any respect, or you never say I love you. But here's the thing, I'd say that rarely, can I say never, never, does someone always or never do something? Maybe it's a pattern, maybe it's a habit, but rarely is it always or never. And there's so many other ways that we fight dirty. Again, a lot of this content comes from the Emotional Healthy Relationship series, and there's like 17 other ways that we fight dirty. We're a creative bunch, you know? We humans, we, we get really creative in our dirty fighting techniques. But here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we are called to a better way. 
Jesus invites us not to fight dirty, not to lie, but he invites us to speak the truth in love. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.13 that we are to speak the truth in love. And so as a people, we shouldn't shy away from speaking the truth. Jesus was a peacemaker. He didn't shy away from the truth, but anytime he brought the truth, it was encased. It was delivered with love. That's what we're called to. And Pete Scazzaro, he writes this about what it means to be a true peacemaker. He says that true peacemakers love God and others and themselves enough to disrupt false peace. You can't have the true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretense. They must be exposed to the light and replaced with the truth. This is the mature loving thing to do. And so in order to do this well, we, we have to refuse fake peace. Even if things are good on the surface, we have to love that person and love the relationship and most importantly, love God enough to disrupt that false peace, but we can't do it through dirty fighting techniques. We have to fight cleanly. We have to fight cleanly. And that's the last thing we're gonna look at here. Now, fighting cleanly might sound like an oxymoron. Like fight cleanly. I thought the whole point of emotional healthy relationships was to get to this spot where, where me and that friend or me and my spouse, we're not fighting anymore. No, no, that's not the point. Pete Scazzaro, again, and his wife, they define uh, uh, fighting cleanly as this. A clean fight is a negotiation between two people for the sake of the relationship. And so clean fighting means that you're not fighting against that person. You're not fighting to win the conversation You're fighting for the sake of that relationship. You're actually partnering with this other person who you just happen to not be able to see the situation in the same way, and you're partnering with them by God's grace for the relationship. I think it's what Paul had in mind when he wrote this in his letter to the Romans, when he said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's dirty fighting. That's dirty fighting. But consider what is good before all people. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. And I love that one segment, um, the little section where he says, if possible. Because sometimes in relationships, um, we can just be honest here this morning, it's just not gonna be possible. It's not. Maybe the relationship is, is too far gone or maybe that person is an abusive individual for the sake of your safety, for the sake of your family's safety. Some things are just unresolvable in that way. I mean, you can still forgive, but listen, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. And so we can try, and Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it concerns you, try to live peaceably with all people. Be a peacemaker and fight cleanly. So what does that look like? What does it look like to actually fight cleanly? How do we live this out in our lives? Well, here are just a few tips now on how we might be able to fight cleanly. And I just wanna provide a preface here real quick. Some of this might sound a little wooden and robotic because it comes from the emotionally healthy relationships uh, content, but would you receive this information and, and would you be able to internalize it and then perhaps add your own language to what, to what is provided here? Um, but I think it's really valuable. I think it's really helpful as we engage in conflict with other people. And so the first thing that they ask us to do here, how how do we fight cleanly? Well, the first thing is we ask for permission. Ask for permission. Don't just barge into conflict. Don't, don't, Don't barge into the relationship and demand that it be dealt with right then, right there. If you have a, if you have a hard conversation that you need to have with another person, humbly approach that person 
and ask them and be like, hey, like things have been tense between us and some words have been exchanged and, and I know that we're not 100% right and so I was just wondering if at some point, can we talk about this? It doesn't have to be right now but I'd like to talk about it and if we can, like can we figure out a time where we can sit down and engage this topic, our relationship and, and discuss this? This is something, uh, I'm gonna be transparent with all of you right now. Um, this is something that I was terrible at early in my marriage with Carrie. And still, sometimes, this is like a really, this, I'm kind of bad at this too. Um, early in marriage, uh, we uh, would get in fights, more than we get in now, but these fights like seem to always happen after like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. We, we were both in school, we were working, we'd get home, we'd be in our apartment, we'd be tired. And I had this like idea in my mind, and, and just share with me if you had the same idea, where like, in God's word, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Have you heard this before? This like thing? And, and so I like took that like super, super literally. And so it'd be like 11 o'clock at night and we'd get in a fight and Carrie, being the wise one in the relationship, would be like, this is going nowhere. I'm going to bed and we can talk about this more tomorrow. And I'd be like, no. God's word says that you can't let the sun, and it didn't matter, like the sun was already down outside, right? It was nighttime, it was dark. Like I don't know what I was thinking, but I would like sit on the edge of the bed and I'd say, we have to, we have to talk about this right now. And let me tell you, those fights never ended well ever, ever, because I was just barging in and insisting that we handle this conflict right then, right there, never went well. Wrong time, wrong way, bad way to fight, not clean fighting. So tip number one, ask for permission. Another thing, start the conversation with this. I notice, okay, I'm serious. Start it with I notice. So something like this. I notice that you've been late to dinner a lot. Or I notice that you've been leaving your dishes in the sink instead of putting them in the dishwasher. Can you see where our house is right now a little bit? Um, I notice that you've been on the phone a lot when we talk. Here's the pattern here. I notice then followed with concrete behavior. Not like I notice I'm feeling a certain way lately or, or I feel that lately. Um, we, we talked a few weeks ago about knowing and understanding our own emotions and that's super important and we're gonna talk about emotions and conflict in just a second. But when we're addressing conflict, this is really important here, we need to lead with observable, concrete behavior. Feelings come into play later, but first I notice, then concrete behavior, then say this, I value. Okay, so it, it looks like this. I notice that you put the dishes in the sink and you don't put them in the dishwasher, but I value a clean kitchen because, okay, or I notice that you're on the phone a lot while we're hanging out on date night but I value our time together being undisturbed because, now listen, this is going to take some thinking on your part before you enter into conflict. Oftentimes when we jump into conflict, we're emotional and we wanna fight about those emotions, but really what's at play here is we're not fighting against the other person. What's going on is the other person we're in relationship with is doing something that, that isn't simply irritating us because they're an inconsiderate, annoying person. No, 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 they're doing something that clashes with one of our values. And so we have to do the hard work before we jump into the conflict and assess what is that person doing and why is what they're doing bothering me so much 
Essentially, the question you're answering when you're feeling that kind of annoyed, frustrated, why are they doing that? You're trying to answer the question, what do I value and why, don't, why is what they're doing conflicting with what I value? That's essentially the question you're answering there. You're not fighting against the other person. Oftentimes what's going on in conflict is you just have different values. And you've highly elevated something as a value that the other person perhaps hasn't. And maybe they're simply unaware that you value that thing so much. Maybe they're unaware how, how valuable you think it is to have an empty sink and a clean kitchen, you know? Maybe they just don't know that that is your value. And then finally, after you move through those steps, you can say something like this. When you do this, I feel. This is where emotions come into play. Feelings are important. We're not robots. We're not robots, so it's important to understand our emotions. But here's the thing. The emotions that we're feeling in conflict are not the problem. And they're not the other person's responsibility to address. They're just part of the conflict and they're part of what we feel. Again, in conflict, we deal with concrete behaviors and the way it clashes with our values. But it is important to bring those emotions into play. For instance, you could say something like, hey, when you asked for that other person's input and not mine, it made me feel this way. Or when you invited that person out to lunch but you didn't invite me as well, it made me feel a certain way. Or when you continue to give me unsolicited advice, it makes me feel a certain way. <laughs> you know, the, here's the thing, when we talk about these emotions with another person, here's why it's important. It's important because it trains our minds and it trains their minds to understand what's going on in our own hearts. Again, we're very, com we're very complicated beings. We're not just rational thinking machines. We are these emotional thinking, rational beings. And, and we have to bring all of that to the table when we're in conflict. And so again, just to review, when we're fighting cleanly, ask for permission, start with I notice, then say I value, and say when, I do, when you do this, I feel, and then finally, just one last thing, just be specific at the very end. And this is where so many of us struggle because we're not self-aware and we don't know what we need or what we want or what we're looking for in the relationship. I'd like you to stop doing that. Or I'd love it if you'd consider doing this. Part of healthy conflict is being incredibly specific about what we need and what we're looking for. And when we engage in conflict with one another, that's what we're negotiating. I'd like you to consider doing this thing. Another person can be like, I don't want to. And that's the conflict. And you continue to engage that way. Now, here's the thing. We've spent the past five or six weeks looking at a variety of tools that I think are, are very helpful in um, enabling us to have emotionally healthy relationships. But as we wrap this series up, I just want to acknowledge again here this morning that this stuff is really hard to do. It's really hard. In the heat of the moment, when everything is like going crazy and you're kind of feeling the emotions of the conflict or whatnot, like some of these things are like the last things that you're thinking about. Especially, especially for those of us who are still wrestling with some deep inner stuff inside of us. And we can learn these things and we can try to say the right thing at the right time in the right way and ask the right questions. But what many of us find in the heat of the conflict 
is that we find ourselves slipping back to our old habits and our old ways and the things that we've learned from our families since growing up and we find that in the midst of conflict that we're saying and thinking and and feeling all the things that we used to feel and we've got all these tools over here and we're like, but I'm supposed to be using these tools but I feel this way and, and and I know how to fight dirty but like I know that I'm supposed to fight cleanly and so much of this can be overwhelming. And perhaps that's what you've been feeling like this whole series. Just like overwhelmed. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And perhaps you'd say something like, you know, you don't understand the family that I grew up in and and what I had to learn and what I had to go through. Or you don't understand my current situation and the conflict I feel with this other person and how far gone it is right now. And I've been working so hard and I've been doing my best and I've been trying to turn the ship a new direction but, but, but it just doesn't seem to happen and, and nothing is changing and, and so you, you just don't get it. Like this is so much harder than you understand but I do think there is a guy in God's word that can help us understand. I do think there's a guy who does get it and it's a guy named Jacob and in just a moment here we're gonna read part of his story about an encounter that he had with God But way before he had this encounter with God, what we have to understand about Jacob is that Jacob was born, like many of us, into a very dysfunctional line of people. His grandfather was Abraham, his dad was Isaac, um, and while there's plenty of incredible stories about how amazing these guys are, they also had a ton of failures because they were human beings just like us. And so the dysfunction and, 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 and the conflict predates Jacob. And I wonder how many of us can relate to that. I wonder how many of us can, can relate to that, that the conflict, that the dysfunction that we experience in our lives, it predates us. It happened long before us. And so Jacob, he's born into this family. And do you know what they, do you know what they, they named him Jacob, but do you know what Jacob meant in Hebrew? It meant the deceiver. That's what his name meant. I mean, yeah, big bummer, right? Can you imagine like you got this new baby and like someone comes over and they're like, oh, he's so cute. What's his name? And you're like, oh yeah, it's deceiver. (laughs) The other person's like, what? (laughs) You serious? Here's the thing about this name though. Jacob lives into this identity his entire life. He lives into this identity. He's deceptive, he steals, he builds up this wealth for himself, he's self-sufficient, he's cunning, he's, he's, he's doing this his, his entire life. For like 20 years, he's running and he's running and he's being deceptive and he's running away from his brother Esau. His brother Esau. And if you know this story, you know that Jacob tricked his brother Esau. He deceived Esau out of his inheritance. And then he fled and then he ran. And right before the scripture we're about to read, Jacob has been on the run for 20 years and God approaches Jacob and he says, Jacob, I want you to go back. No more running from the conflict. I want you to address it head on. I want you to talk to your brother Esau. And so Jacob's like, okay, And so what he does here in Genesis 32 is he sends his servants ahead of him and his servants go across and what they see is they see Esau's already making his way to Jacob. But they go back to Jacob and they say, hey, Esau's already coming back this way, but he's bringing with him 400 men, like an army of people. 
And so Jacob, he's already been running away from this conflict. And then he hears this news, and so he gets terrified. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 32, it says that Jacob was greatly distressed. He was freaking out about this conflict. Because up until this time in Jacob's life, he had been able to control every situation in his life. He'd been able to weasel himself out of anything that he faced. But here was a situation, here was a conflict that he couldn't control. The God of the universe was inviting him to reconnect with his brother Esau. And his brother Esau is coming hard with 400 dudes. And he's like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And so he sends everyone out. And where we pick this story up is Jacob's all alone. He's by himself. He's about to go to sleep. And in Genesis 32, 24, here's what we read. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till day break. Now this man here, uh, we find out later in Hosea, this is actually like an angel of the Lord. It's actually God himself. Wrestles with Jacob, verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with this man. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Remember his name. Then the man said, verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying it is because I saw God face to face yet my life was spared. So here's the thing we need to understand about this kind of weird story. This spot where Jacob was, was exactly where God wanted him. God had led the circumstances of Jacob's life to get him to this exact moment. And what Jacob thought was going on was that he had been brought to this point of his life where he was going to be forced to address this outer conflict when in reality, what God really wanted to do was use this outer conflict to bring Jacob to the end of himself so he could address what was really going on inside of his heart. You see, some of the things that we think are about other people some of the conflicts we face that are, that, that are outside of ourselves, we think are about them or about that thing, when in reality, God is using that thing to address something deep inside of each and every one of us. And God will lead us on a journey to deal with conflict and painful and difficult and hurtful things, and he will intercept us in the middle of that journey for a purpose. And God's like, I've orchestrated your life in such a way that I have called you to deal with this painful outer thing, but in your obedience in dealing with that painful outer thing, I'm gonna meet you about something inside of you, about this inner thing. And this is what God does with Jacob. He brings him to the end of himself with this outer conflict, this outer conflict that Jacob has dreaded for his entire adult life. And while he's on the brink of facing conflict, God wrestles with Jacob. He wrestles with Jacob. And here's what's so fascinating about this wrestling. This has just, again, been something that has been true about Jacob his entire life. His brother Esau was his twin, and what we read in that story is that while he was in the womb, he was wrestling Esau. 
And then his entire life, he's wrestling and he's wrangling and he's, and he's, he's just constantly doing this. And so God shows up and he's like, okay, man, you wanna wrestle? Let's wrestle. Let's do this. What's so beautiful about this, I think, is that God meets him in his dysfunction. God meets him at his broken place. God's like, dude, this has been your entire life. You've been wrestling and wrangling for your own agenda, for what you want, for your way. But listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the story now because you don't need another victory, Jacob. What you need is an identity shift. God meets him in the midst of his dysfunction to do something deep inside of him. And like Jacob, God will lead us into the wilderness of conflict to meet us in our dysfunction because he no longer wants us defined by our past, by our parents, by our history, by our personalities. You see, for Jacob, the deceiver, his wrestling, this dysfunction, it was like literally in his bones. He was named after it. He had lived into it for so long. And God, he's like, I wanna change that. Jacob, I've got blessing for you. I've got something good for you. I've got a new name for you. I've got a new identity for you. I wanna change your story. I wanna rewrite your narrative. And God renamed him. No longer would he be Jacob. No longer would he be the deceiver, but he would be Israel. But here's what Jacob had to do. Jacob had to lay down the deceiver identity. He had to surrender it. In the midst of his wrestling with God, he had to lay it down. Some of us this morning are still clinging to old stories about ourselves, to old identities. We're clinging to the words that were spoken over us as children or perhaps more likely we're, speak, we're, we're clinging to the words that were never spoken over us. The words we were always longing to hear. I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm with you. Maybe you didn't have your parents in your life and so you've lived with this void and so we've lived with this disappointment. We've been defined by what we've never had, by our disappointment. And it, and it feels like it's in our bones. And so we, we leave our, our homes, our places of origin, and we go start these new lives, and we start these new families. And, and for some of us, we get married, and we have children, and we go out, and we're like, I'm going to do things differently, right? I, I'm going to rewrite the story. I'm not going to be the same. And then life just has a way of going on. And we find ourselves repeating the same things and it just feels like that story is in our bones. We can't get rid of it. And we wonder how do we get it out and I think that's exactly what's happening to Jacob. It's like this stuff is inside of me. How do I get it out? How do I break free from it? How do I break free from this generational dysfunction? And so what God does is he leads them to this conflict and he shows up in the middle of it and he's like, I'm going to give you a new name, Jacob, but listen, Jacob, you have to step out of that old identity. You are no longer the deceiver. And some of you today, listen, this is God's invitation to you this morning. God's like, I've got a new name for you. God's like, I want to rewrite your story, but you're gonna have to leave that old identity behind. You're gonna have to leave that story behind 
the name that you were given, the stuff that was spoken over you, the stuff that was never spoken over you, the disappointment, the unmet expectations, because listen, to step into something new, you have to leave the old behind. There's blessing available. There's a new identity available to you. Jesus paid for it on the cross, but, but here's, here's the reality. Sometimes you have to wrestle for it. Sometimes you have to wrestle for it. Sometimes it's, it's not as simple as just hearing someone say it and then it's like stepping into it and believing that that's true for you. Sometimes it's not as simple as being with someone and having them lay their hand on you and they pray it over you. So, sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes you have to wrestle for it. You have to get into the middle of the conflict. You have to fight for it. You have to be like, I'm gonna fight for this new name. I'm gonna fight for this new story. I'm gonna fight for this new identity because I, I want my inheritance and I, and I want this rewritten. And so right now, that's what we're gonna do. That's what I wanna, I just wanna provide a space for us right now to do just that. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and in just a moment, we're gonna take communion together right now but I just want us to use this space right now to wrestle this out in the quietness of this moment as this next song is played over us, would we, would we wrestle with God? And for many of you right now, listen, you've got some sort of conflict in your life, some sort of outer thing that you've been wrestling with, and perhaps that's what's been on your mind this entire time, is that thing that has been ever present before you. And it's painful, and it's hard, but, but, but here's the thing. Your eyes have been on the thing, on the conflict, but like Jacob, listen, do you think that God has brought you, that, that maybe, just maybe, God has brought you to the, to the brink of this conflict, to the edge of yourself, to expose your truest self, so that God might be able to meet you in the midst of that pain, in the midst of your dysfunction, and do some deep, transformative work in your heart. So I know it's not easy, but in this moment right now, as the band sings this next song over us, would we just be bold? Would we be brave? Would we wrestle with God? Bring him your hurt, bring him your pain, bring him your disappointment, whatever it is, bring that before God. Nothing is too painful, nothing is too hard, nothing is too big for him in this moment. Let's do that now. Let's wrestle with him in this quiet space. And when you're ready, you can make your way to the side over there. We've got the communion elements. And at the end of the song, we'll take communion together.